by God's grace, as we've gone through the Advent season and the, the Christmas story of Luke, as we began uh, going through this gospel of Luke back uh, in November, uh, it, it, it was beautiful how the timing occurred with the birth of Jesus and the coming of John the Baptist. But in today, today's text, we're going to look at two people, two old people who finish well. And there truly could not be a better text for New Year's Eve than what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. Uh, because it has to do with two old, old saints who spent their time well on earth and who finished well. There's a famous line in both the books and also in the movie where Frodo is uh, discouraged, overwhelmed by all the evil that surrounds him, uh, and he's having a, a deep conversation with Gandalf. And he says this, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live in such times. But it is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I hope today as we look at Luke 2, uh, 2, 21 through 38, that we're going to look at the examples of Simeon and Anna who used their time given to them well and finished well as we close out year 2023. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in faith, we turn to you, Lord. We need challenging. We need to be encouraged. We tend to waste so much time. We tend to be just uh, uh, sort of grovel in the everyday complaints of life. And forget why you have us here on this earth. Our great desire is to both you in, uh, to glorify you and to enjoy you. And we feel like as we're coming off of a year and about to look in another, that we have failed in so many ways. So I pray, God, that as we look at this wonderful example of these two old, old saints who are looking in faith to the coming of Messiah, that we would look in faith to the return of Messiah and that we would use our time well, no matter whether we're three or 93. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 21 through 38. And I will uh, begin here with verse 21. We're going to see three different sections in here. We're going to see Jesus at the temple in verses 21 through 24. Simeon finishing well in verses 25 through 35. And Anna finishing well. In verses 36 through 38. So first of all, Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. God says, and Luke writes, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we have a narrative here that occurs, of course, after the birth of Jesus here, after when eight they passed. Uh, and Mary and Joseph were devout followers of Christ. They kept the law of Moses. They, they wanted to uh, uh, affirm all the ceremonial requirements that had been given to them in the Old Testament. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking th the poor woman's recovering. She's going to walk five miles to Jerusalem, but she does. And they go up and they go through this level of purification. There's probably three different ceremonies involved here. There's the purification of the mother after giving birth. 
Uh, there's the presentation of their firstborn child, and then there's the dedication of the firstborn son to the Lord's service. Uh, it's just like the principle of first fruits. The first fruits of the harvest to go to the Lord, the first fruit of the womb is to go to the Lord. So, uh, so he is to enter into priestly service, but because the Levites are only the ones that are supposed to be priests, uh, they're allowed to actually pay a fee and be able to redeem back from the Lord the, that principle of priestly service. So they are, Jesus was born under the law, even in his infancy. He is fulfilling all of the requirements of the law. Now, notice there's a, uh, they says their purification, it may have to do with Joseph assisting with the birth. He needed to be purified as well, or they're combining all the different ceremonies. But one of the principles here is that Jesus, Jesus had pious, godly parents who were serious about the worship of the Lord. They weren't looking for a reason to miss out on, on going to worship. They, they, they devoted themselves to doing the right thing according to the customs and the laws of the time. And they were a great example to Jesus. Even though he was sinless, he was also gifted with wonderful parents here. And then, of course, they go and uh, they, they perform his circumcision. Of course, that is the Old Testament rite, the sign and the seal of, of salvation through faith. It is not, it does not bring salvation. This is one of the principles that the Apostle Paul worked so hard to ex, uh, explain in Romans and in Galatians that circumcision in and of itself does not save someone. But it's remarkable how we look to put our faith in a ceremony. We look to put our faith in our good works and there's constant principles, especially in the New Testament, where they have to teach you over and over and over again that it's grace that saves. Well, circumcision was just like baptism. How many people have you talked to before that think they're getting saved because they got baptized? It's just like the way the Jews thought they were getting saved because they had been circumcised. But they went through this, this rite, this principle here, as commanded from Genesis chapter 17, they took baby Jesus to go be uh, circumcised as part of the sign. That's interesting because if you had not been circumcised and you were part, going to be part of the covenant community of God, uh, a man would have to be circumcised. But So they do the same thing with their children. This is the reason why we practice uh, the, the principle of infant baptism. That As the parents are professing faith in Jesus Christ, then they, they want to have that same sign, the sign of salvation by faith upon their children as well. Uh, they get this also, of course, uh, as we mentioned uh, when we're looking at John the Baptist, this is also the time when they declare his name to be Jesus. Of course, Jesus is actually Greek. It's the Greek Hebrew of, uh, uh, word uh, Josiah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Joshua, which means, of course, Yahweh is salvation here. But there's a little interesting thing here that Luke loves to, again, point out, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the disenfranchised, the poor, the people that normally would be overlooked are, are front and center in his gospel. He says here that they offered a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. It's interesting. If you go back to the Levitical law code in Leviticus chapter 12, it says this. If, if she, after going through the rite of purification, cannot afford a lamb, then she will take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she can be clean here. This is, this is really a, a public profession of the poverty of Mary and Joseph. They couldn't even afford a lamb. They, they, they sacrificed a couple of pigeons because they were so poor they couldn't afford a lamb. I love what Kent Hughes points out here. He says, so here we again see that Christianity began and always begins with a spirit of need, a spirit of destitution. 
If you were putting your hope in your wealth or your talents or your good works or anything else, you miss the point of Christianity. Christianity is for those of us who put all of their hope upon God. You recall we looked at Malachi a good bit as we were looking at the, the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner. One of the other wonderful prophecies of Malachi comes in Malachi 3.1. It says this, And the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come into his temple. We see the fulfillment of that in this, this little text right here. The Lord himself coming in to his temple. And the beautiful part is that we see here in the persons of Simeon and Anna, his people are waiting for him. We see here, it finish, Simeon finishes well now in verses 25 through 35. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And, he had, and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which are being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is one of the most moving passages in all of the New Testament. You are introduced to this old man, this old character, Simeon here. He was a layman. He was not a priest. Uh, and it was said of him that he was righteous and devout. Boy, now that would be something to have on your tombstone, wouldn't it? Righteous and devout. Devout usually makes reference to he's careful about his religious duties. He, he was constantly in a, uh, looking to ways that he could worship the Lord. And these are such, seems to be such rare qualities at this time. Uh, Judaism had become so corrupt, so law-based. Uh, uh, Rome was, in so many ways, an, an evil empire. And yet, it, we're not without hope. The people of God are always there. Very often in the background, but always there. One of the beautiful things about this testimony of him being righteous and devout, it makes a credible witness to Jesus' messiahship here. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. Uh, that idea of uh, uh, consolation is comfort. He was looking for the comfort of Israel. They saw Messiah as a comforter, one who would comfort. Isaiah chapter 40 said this, Comfort, O comfort ye people, says God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed. There could be nothing more comfortable than knowing that your iniquity has been removed, that your sins have been forgiven. The very way that God is going to do that, just walked into the temple in the arms of his mother. He says here that he, it was revealed to him in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Simeon a direct revelation. You know, this old guy, and how many of us have been this way? We're just kind of ready to be home. We're just ready to be on into heaven. We're kind of done. The body's starting to wear out. We're kind of ready to go. But, but at some point in time, God appeared to Simeon and said, the time will come. Well, I will bring you home. But first, you're going to see Messiah. You're going to see the comfort of Israel. You, of all people, I am allowing to be able to meet the one who I am sending 
to forgive Israel of their sins. So the active spirit is moving throughout this situation here. Of course, we see this as the introduction of the movement of the spirit uh, throughout the church, which uh, it kind of uh, pinnacles and Pentecost here that he would not see death. He would not come to death. And then it says here he came into the spirit. Y'all folks, we always want to be walking in the spirit. You walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And he came into the temple in the spirit. The spirit is guiding him and he is listening to the spirit. Now, he's probably in the court of the Gentiles or the court of women because Mary was there and she would not be allowed to go further into the courts, into the court of men, or certainly not to the holy of holies here. So they, so they run into each other, basically. Now, y'all, there's thousands of people at the temple at this point in time. And Simeon had probably been going day after day, day after day, just waiting for this. You know, Jesus, God's never in a hurry. You've noticed that? I mean, he keeps saying, when are you going to do this? I mean, it might have been years that he had had this promise. And he goes in, he goes in, he goes. And then, and here comes this little couple. How many couples were there? How many babies were there? This is probably, you ever been to the state fair in Columbia? There's just a throng of mass humanity. It's almost terrifying, you know? This is probably what it was like. And and all of a sudden, he sees Mary and Joseph, and he sees the baby, and he makes a beeline to him. And he took the baby in his arm. What was Mary thinking? Mary, you know, you know, you mamas are pretty protective. And uh, she's walking in with the baby, and she's looking around, and she goes, no one has masks on. You know, she's uh, walking in with her baby. And Simeon just comes, this old man just comes over, shaking hands, and just takes the baby out of her hand. And holds. this is drama at its best, isn't it? Takes the baby in his hands. And you, and you can just imagine the tears that were coming down uh, out, of, out of his eyes here. Uh, the church called Simeon the Theodokos, the God receiver. He received God into his heart, into his arms. We need to be God receivers and take Christ into a heart. And then he gives us with this blessed inspired hymn, in a sense, here, there's three different pairs of lines here. Now the Lord, now Lord, he's praying to the Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. He wants to go home and now he can because the promise has been fulfilled. There's this, this praise chain that he just kind of goes on here. It's according to course God's word. God always keeps his word. He cannot lie. And he's looking forward to this. Folks, as we look at the end of one year and we're approaching a new year, you want to live the kind of life where you're not afraid of dying. You're not, you're not afraid of seeing the Lord. You're not afraid of, of him evaluating your life. That point in time is going to come for every single one of us. Simeon knew that it was going to come soon. But we don't know when that time is going to come. So we want to be a God receiver, just like Simeon was. Mark Train said this, The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any point in time. That's a good New Year's resolution, isn't it? I mean, I don't mean to sound morbid, but it is going to come. So think in terms of how, what would I want my life to look like if Christ came back tomorrow? If he came back tonight? Simeon was confident about that, uh, that opportunity there. He says here, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. God, he prepared us in the presence of all people. He's not hiding this truth. And he has seen God's salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is salvation. 
God saves. Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name means. If you're putting your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, you're, putting your, your, you're building your house on a foundation of sand. You want to put your house on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. But notice this, that, that, that salvation is not a what, it is a who. He's holding Jesus. I have seen your salvation. Salvation is in a person. It's not some nebulous principle. It's not some impersonal force. Salvation comes through the person of Jesus Christ, which Simeon here is proclaiming. This is God's salvation, which, of course, God prepared in the presence of all people. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. The, 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 when it talks about a light coming in, that's, a, a, that's illumination of a dark place. There's an assumption here that the general principle of the world is dark. But then this light walks into the temple and changes everything. This, of course, goes back to Isaiah chapter 9, our theme verse for this entire gospel. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. And those who lived in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. One commentator says this, Simeon in his effect is saying, I've looked into the face of my Savior. I don't have to watch him grow up and see him in public ministry or listen to his public teaching or watch the miracles he will perform. I don't need to see the transfiguration or be an eyewitness or the atoning death of the cross or the resurrection of the dead. I see the light of salvation that God has promised his people. That consolation that we've been waiting for. I've seen the salvation that you've promised. Now let me go home. And Jesus had not died on the cross yet. Jesus had not risen from the dead yet. Simeon was saved like all the Old Testament saints were saved. Saved in faith by looking to the promises of a Savior who was to come. And now he holds that Savior uh, in his arms it's just amazing. Here he is in his old age where he could have been doing a million other things. And he was devoting himself looking uh, for the coming of Messiah. I love here this point that his father and his mother were amazed. How God is just so good to Mary and Joseph. You think about all that they had to go through. Um, I mean, there'd be a little pressure raising Messiah, right? You know, uh, just add that to the difficulty of having children in general. And, 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 and we can relate to this, those of us have had children. You know, it kind of disrupts your whole world for a long, long, long time, right? You're emotionally bought in, you're financially brought in, and all these other things. But here's God encouraging them again. Here comes this old man just coming up out of the crowd. It's just like the shepherds coming to them. You know, you're not going to believe this, but the angels just told us this is Messiah. And here are Mary and Joseph. They were amazed at these things. And what does Simeon do? He blesses them. He blesses them. And then he, and, he, and he blesses them with more prophecy. Again, he's in the spirit, so he's got the spirit of prophecy upon him here. He says, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many. There's two groups of people. There's, 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 not, there's not black and white and yellow. There's not male and female. There's not slave and free. There's two groups of people. There's Christians and non-Christians. Believers and non-believers. This, this, this person, this child is, is the one, is the demarcation point here. 
According to Isaiah 8, some of them will be, uh, to, to, to many people, Jesus Christ will be a stumbling stone. They will fall and they will be broken. According to Isaiah 28, he is also the precious cornerstone. And people who believe in him will not be disappointed. That's it, folks. Christians, non-Christians. Believers in Jesus, non-believers in Jesus. He is going to do, be the divided. There's a great spiritual civil war. That comes here. This is the, the episode we're looking at here is the first shot fired at Fort Sumter. The world is now going to be divided between those who see Jesus as a problem and those who see Jesus as Messiah. And then he's going to go on to to emphasize to Mary, you know, this this difficult passage. I mean, this, what, a, what a mixed blessing this is in a sense. He's sitting there blessing them and talking about how great the child is. But this is going to cost you. It always costs you to be a Christian in many ways. He says, a sword will pass through you. That, that word for sword is a large two-handed sword. A rafa is going to pass through Mary. Now, he's looking just to Mary. He probably knows prophetically that Joseph is going to be dead by the time of, uh, of Jesus' death and the difficulties that they're going to have to face. <clears throat> but, and, and, and it's going to be difficult. Imagine, imagine. Y'all know what it's like having a children, even adult children. You know, you don't stop being a parent once they turn 18. In some ways, raising adult children is even more difficult emotionally. Seeing them go through the difficulties of life that you want to protect them from, but, but you can't. But that's going to come. But you think about the people who hated Mary's son. And the things that Mary would have heard. And the plots and the strategies and the disdain that people and the danger that he was constantly putting himself in. And then to the point where she would literally have to watch his, her son tortured to death on a cross. That's her baby. Yeah, it doesn't matter how old the son is. It's always the mama's baby. It's always the daddy's baby. He, she had to see that. So he prophetically warns her. Just know this is going to happen. This is, what's, this, this is what Messiah is all about. He's got to die. He's got to die for the people. But that death is going to cause the hearts to be revealed. R.C.B. Scholes states this. Not only uh, he, is, he is only a baby now, but he has a destiny. A destiny that began in eternity and a destiny that will surely come to pass. Because that destiny has been set before him by his heavenly father. You may not like the doctrine of predestination, but if you're going to be biblical, you cannot avoid it. And here we see it with respect to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Even Jesus' ministry was predestined, preordained, as was the salvation of those who follow him. Now we see here that Anna finishes well in verses 36 through 38. I love that Simeon's not alone. Uh, and, and he probably knew Anna because they were always hanging out at the temple together. So he probably knew her. But she, she evidently sees this going on over here, sees Simeon hugging this baby, might have known Simeon's story. He probably told a few people that the Lord said, I'm not going to die until Messiah comes. So she comes over. And there was a, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Anna, I love it. Anna's name means grace. It means grace. She was a widow. Uh, she had gone through much sorrow and she was a widow when she was young, but she did not grow bitter. She did not resent God. Uh, she, did not, she was not envious of other people who had their husbands for a long, long, long time. 
Uh, she's from the tribe of Asher. Asher, of course, means happy. So she's uh, Grace from the family of happy here. And it says that she was a, a widow. You know, you think about Paul, Paul saying in Romans 8, 28, here's a, a great example. Because she's gone through probably one of the most difficult things anybody could go through, right? Paul says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to her purposes, his purposes. So here she is. She, she, because she was widowed, she could devote herself to fastings and prayers. And God is rewarding her all those decades of faithfulness. And she gets to see Messiah. I like what Oswald Chambers challenges us with. He says this. Our Lord is dethroned more emphatically by Christian workers than by the world. God is made a machine for blessing men. Jesus Christ is made a worker among workers. The idea is not that we have to do work for God, but that we are so loyal to him that he can do his work through us. Quote, I reckon on you for extreme service with no complaining on your part and no explanation on mine. God wants... To use us as he used his own son. Anna didn't spend her day saying, why me, God? Why'd you make me a widow? Why do I have to go through all this kind of stuff? She just basically said, you know what? You're God. I'm servant. I said that you would be Lord of my life. So you don't have to explain yourself to me. And I will not complain. And then the Lord ends up blessing her. We're reading about her 2,000 years later. Philippians 4.11 says this, Not that I will speak from want, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. So she's 84 years old. old. It, it's possible, based on the, the original script here, that she actually was uh, 103 years old. That she wasn't just 84 years old, but she was 84 years old as a, as a widow here. So she was up there in her age. But, you know, 84 is up there, right? 103 is really up there. And she's not sitting around just feeling sorry for herself. She is serving the Lord with fastings and with prayers. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of peace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, comfort, strengthen, and establish you. That is happening right now here with the person of Anna. It says she nevertheless left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayer. She was full of hope. She was, I mean, just what an encouragement she must have been uh, discipling younger women. Both Anna and Simeon were, were called by some commentators the quiet of the land. You think about the turmoil that was occurring during, during uh, Israel at uh, that time, being Roman conquest. And Ro Rome had, had basically established itself all over the Mediterranean world. Uh, they brought Pax Roma, the, the Roman peace, but they brought it by destroying anybody who would oppose them. So it came at a very heavy price. The, the church of, uh, of the Jews was totally corrupt. Uh, there, there was very little hope in the outside world. And yet these quiet of the land, they weren't looking for rebellion. They weren't looking for the Romans to be destroyed. They weren't looking for vengeance. They were looking for Messiah, looking for Messiah. The solutions to what we're dealing with right now on planet Earth are not going to be found in politics. They're not going to be found in violence. They're not going to be found. They're going to be found in God. We should be like Simeon. We should be like Anna. We should be the quiet of the Lamb. And what's beautiful here is just like Jesus, God chose to reveal his son to despise shepherds, to Gentile wise men. Now he's revealed himself to two old people that probably people would have normally dismissed who were the quiet of the lamb.
And then she gives up, comes up and gives thanks. She recognizes that God is bringing about this wonderful truth. William Barclay says this, If we think God is a distant and remote and detached, we may well despair. But if we think of God as intimately connected with life, as having his hand on the helm of life, we too will be sure that the best is yet to be, and the years will never kill our hope. The same God who guided Simeon and Anna to meet Messiah is the same God that you have today, that brought you here today, that's going to get you through in victory and in hope in this coming year. And what, of course, what I love about this is, too, she goes on and says that she continued to speak of him. You just couldn't keep Anna quiet. She's just out there tell, sharing the gospel, evangelizing people left and right. She could not remain silent. Now, she's a prophetess, too. So here she's given a prophetic word here that's being spoken about uh, what God is doing. One of the other th thoughts, too, here. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but notice this. She is the daughter of Fanul. You know what that, that word is? Do you remember that word from your study of Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob wrestled with God and then God renamed uh, Jacob Israel, one who wrestles with God? Uh, and Jacob called that place Fanul. Fanul. What it means is to see God face to face. Here she is, she's fulfilling her daddy's name. Anna, little Anna, born to Fanul, is seeing God face to face. What a beautiful thought that is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. George Bernard Shaw, who was no Christian, wrote this. This is the true joy in life, that being used for the purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, and being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. As long as I live it, in my, uh, it is my privilege to do what I can, whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is sort of a splendid torch, which I have got hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generation. Simeon and Anna finished well. Their life was a torch. It wasn't a dying candle. They didn't use their age as an excuse to not be with the people of God and not tell others about Christ. That's our challenge. With that great comfort passage that comes to us from Isaiah, Isaiah continues in chapter 40. Get yourself on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Father, I do pray that you would help us to to, to, with such hopeful expectation, be able to proclaim the truth of the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord, I think about Anna and Simeon and the pleasure of being able to actually see Jesus. And yet we have so much more. We have a completed New Testament. We have, a, we have a, an established church. We are vessels of the Holy Spirit. We have wonderful traditions. We've been given so much more than Anna and Simeon. Lord, help us to not just finish well,
but to stay well all of our lives as we continue to look for the comfort and hope of people. Jesus Christ. Amen.